Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see you. Coming out for a special um, two-day gathering. Tonight we look at the first study in our How to Win at Marriage workshop. And I specifically chose the word workshop rather than conference to call this by because in a workshop you build something. At a conference, you sit there and soak up information. We don't want you to think of it like that. We want to think of this as a workshop where we give you tools so that you can build strong and blessed marriages. And listen to what I'm saying. We can hand you the tools, but you've got to do the work. We can't build it for you. It's something you have to want to do, something that you have to put your heart, whole heart into doing. Um, let me uh, give you some introductory comments before we actually get into our first teaching tonight. Marriage was originally designed by God to be one of the greatest blessings and sources of joy on earth. In fact, it was designed by God to represent the oneness and love relationship that he desired to enter into with the human race, which would find its fulfillment in his marriage to his bride, the church. So the question is, what has happened to marriage to corrupt it as we see today? I mean, what has happened that has caused marriage to be so twisted from its original form into the mess that we see in American culture today? Well, it goes way back. It was man's rebellion in the Garden of Eden, which led to the fall of mankind, but also to the fall of marriage. Sin not only disrupted man's, mankind's relationship with God, but it also corrupted our relationships with one another, including and especially the fall slash curse brought conflict and chaos into marriage. So guys, ever since the fall, marriage has been a difficult proposition to say the least. Uh, you know, because in marriage you have the joining together of two fallen human beings, each cursed with a fallen nature, full of pride and selfishness, trying to become one with each other. <laughs> uh, this could be a little like trying to combine gunpowder with nitroglycerin. can be a very explosive mix, and often conflict fueled by selfishness and pride becomes the spark that ignites the two and blows marriages apart. But it seemed that for many years in our nation's history, as long as we as a people honored God and lived according to his word. Of course, not everybody did, but there was a time in our nation's history where uh, people were a lot more godly than they are today, where they did revere the word of God. They were God-fearing people. And as they sought to honor God and obey his word, God blessed, God gave grace for us as a nation to have strong marriages and families. However, in the last 70 years or so, as our nation has moved more and more away from God and his word, marriage has been steadily declining, and the statistics bear this out. Every year, a little over 2 million couples pledge themselves to one another in marriage, vowing to love each other, to stay together in good times and bad, uh, for better or for worse, until death separates them. And yet almost half of them will eventually wind up getting divorced. Now, why is that? 
I mean, many couples try to make their marriages work. They seek professional help from marriage counselors. Uh, they attend marriage seminars and camps and weekends. They watch videos on the subject of marriage. They read books. They even fill out workbooks, all in an effort to fix their broken marriages. And yet, half of these couples will still wind up getting divorced. Why? Well, part of the problem, I'm not saying it's all the problem, but part of the problem lies in couples trying to get answers from secular professionals I'm not talking about Christians now, I'm just talking about the culture in general. Part of the problem is that couples try to get answers from secular professionals is how to fix their marriages. Here's the problem with that. <laughs> Marriage is not an invention of man, it is a creation of God. And that means he's the only one who knows how it functions and how to fix the problems couples face in their marriages. God created marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Man fell in chapter 3. And the fall brought all of the problems into marriage that we see today and throughout human history. The reason marriage is so difficult is because it's under the curse. But take courage. In Christ, our marriages can be what God intended them to be pre-fall, before the curse. And so if couples want to find answers to help them have a healthy, blessed marriage, they need to understand you're not going to find those answers by running to secular counselors to sit and listen to them give you their, you know, their advice to drink from the polluted wells of the world's wisdom. That's not going to do anything positive. The answers lie with God and his word alone. And so, guys, that brings us to the first study in our How to Win at Marriage workshop. If you want to win at marriage, you need to start by understanding and applying the first letter in the acronym WIN, the acronym W-I-N. The W in our WIN acronym stands for warfare, warfare. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, why begin a workshop on marriage with a study on spiritual warfare? Why? <laughs> because spiritual warfare is the direct cause of all marital problems. And I'm not overstating that. I don't think I am. Spiritual warfare is the direct cause of all marital problems unbeknownst to many couples. As I just said, the reason marriage is so difficult is because it's under the curse. That's true. But what couples often fail to understand is that the devil is using the curse as a vehicle to attack their marriages. So let me say it a different way. The real reason your marriage is so difficult is because it's under attack. It's under attack. We know that what, what Paul said in Ephesians 6, verse 12, he said, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not really our enemies. Our fight is with the devil and his demons, those spirits, uh, spiritual forces of wickedness in the spirit realm. They're our real enemies. Our struggles, guys, in marriage are not really with each other. I mean, not really, not ultimately. They're spiritual in nature. Of course, we become willing pawns and participants in the devil's attempt to destroy our marriages through our own selfishness and pride. That's true. I mean, we can't really blame the devil for our failed marriages, but listen, we must not be ignorant of his devices either. 
We must understand what he's up to, what he's doing, especially when it comes to our marriages. So guys, the real problem in your marriage is spiritual in nature. If you don't isolate the core problem, which is spiritual warfare, and target it, your marriage will be reduced to endlessly running around trying to fix symptoms. And guys, this is basically what we see with many married couples today. Instead of dealing with the core problem, with the real problem in marriage, they spend all their time working on symptoms, you know, selfishness, lack of communication, out-of-control spending, in-law problems. They spend all their time working on symptoms while leaving the core issue undealt with. It's kind of like taking aspirins to heal a headache, except the headache is being caused by a brain tumor. You can take aspirins and they might alleviate some of the pain, but the pain's always going to be there. It's always going to come back. You're not dealing with the core problem. And this is what the devil's got couples running around like a dog chasing their, its tail. Running after one symptom after another, leaving the core issues untouched. He loves to work in anonymity. He loves to work standing in the shadows. You know, like the Wizard of Oz pulling the strings and levers, causing all this ruckus in our lives, and we think it's the, the problem is each other. It's not. The problem is the devil. What we really need to do in our marriages is focus on the core problem, which is our fallen natures. Listen, it's our fallen natures being manipulated by Satan and used against us to destroy our marriages. You know, one of the things that has many of us pastors concerned is how many Christian marriages are struggling and failing today. I mean, we understand the problems that those who don't know the Lord have in their marriages. We get that. But Christians? Yes. Especially Christians. And the reason is because unbelievers are not at war with the devil. But we are. I am personally seeing more Christians getting divorced today than I saw 40 years ago when I first got into ministry. One couple I knew got married. I married them. Two months later, she was cheating on her husband. And two months after that, they filed for divorce. And while that may be an extreme example of the flimsy, shallow commitment that many are entering into marriage with, it nonetheless is becoming more and more the norm rather than the exception. I personally believe that one of the main reasons Christian marriages are failing at a record rate today is due to the epidemic of self-love that is so rampant in the world but is infected the church. The Apostle Paul prophesied about this in 2 Timothy 3 when he said in the last days people would be lovers of self. Now, self-love has always been around. But what he is saying is that in the last days, the time just prior to Christ's return, it would escalate, it would explode. I see many couples entering into marriage on the basis of self-love. What do I mean? Well, you know, I love you because you make me feel good, or I love you because of what you can do for me or what you give to me. Entering into marriage more for what they can get out of it rather than for what they can put into it. 
Anybody who enters marriage with that mindset, their marriage is doomed from the start. Because they're always going to be looking for a better deal. Somebody who makes them feel better than their husband or wife. Somebody who can do more for them, and so on. Listen, the only kind of love that will allow your marriage to endure the hardships, the pain, the problems, and the difficulties of life is the love of God. Agape love. God's love is a supernatural love. As we have said many times, we can't fake it or make it. Well, we can fake it, but we certainly can't make it. We can't duplicate it. When we talk about marriage, guys, the only way your marriage is going to really be all that God wants it to be is if you understand the supernatural nature of marriage. It has to function and, uh, and operate in the love of God. Now, that's impossible if you're an unbeliever. But when you get saved, the Bible says that God, Romans 5, verse 5, pours his agape love into us. It's there now. doesn't mean we have to use it. We can still be selfish. We can still love ourselves more than others. But it's there. God's agape love is there. It's a supernatural, selfless, and sacrificial love. And guys, until we love God and our spouse more than we love ourselves, well, marriages will continue to suffer and, God, and die in the altar of self-love. Now, whether Christians realize it or not, so much of self-love is being stimulated and exacerbated by the devil and his demons working through our fallen nature. That's warfare. Where the devil is working through our fallen nature, why is he doing that? He wants to destroy our walk with God, our ministry, our marriage. So the devil and his demons are working through our fallen nature. And this is the, the goal in his mind is to lead us into greater and greater conflict and division in marriage. Well, Jesus said it. I'll just quote to you what the Lord said in Mark 3, verse 25. Let me paraphrase. He said, if a house, may I add, or a marriage. If a house or marriage is divided against itself, that house or marriage cannot stand. Listen, Satan's strategy has always been divide and conquer. We know that. Because he knows there is, a, there is strength in numbers and that the only way he can defeat us is to divide us. I love what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4. You know it. Let me just read it to you, the NLT. And I don't know if he had marriage in mind. It's kind of hard to figure out. I think he didn't. But I think it's a great passage for marriage. Two people are better than one. For they help each other, excuse me, for they help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. That's a great passage for marriage. A triple braided cord. A husband, a wife, plus God. Guys, we are in a battle with the devil for the survival of our marriages. Satan wants to destroy them, but God wants to grow them. So they flourish and glorify him in this world. Again, this war is with the devil and his demons, not really with each other. But listen to me carefully. 
In any war, there is a certain percentage of casualties that come as a result of what's called friendly fire. Every soldier knows that sometimes in the heat of battle, allies can be mistaken for enemies. And when that happens, the results can be devastating. Unfortunately, when we talk about spiritual warfare, the same is true. There are many casualties in the body of Christ that are the result of friendly fire. And by that I mean people who are supposed to be on the same side, fighting together against the real enemy, often find, them, often find themselves fighting each other, taking shots at one another, you know, wounding and hurting and even destroying those who are supposed to be allies and not enemies. I mean, how true is this often in marriage as well? In Ephesians 6, when Paul reminded us that our real struggles are not with each other, but with principalities and powers, the host of wickedness in the spirit realm, he did so directly on the heels of his teaching on marriage. Now, I wonder if that was intended on the part of the Holy Spirit working through Paul. I wonder if the Spirit of God was telling us that marriages can expect to get the brunt of much, if not most, of the spiritual warfare that we encounter as Christians. In fact, as we read the first few chapters in the book of Genesis, we can see it didn't take Satan long to attack the first marriage on the face of the earth. Again, at the end of Genesis 2, God joined Adam and Eve together in marriage, and in the beginning of chapter 3, Satan attacked them. Why? Well, for several reasons, but primarily, primarily to get back at God, to curse and corrupt something God had created to be beautiful and blessed. And so in Genesis chapter 3, why don't you turn there? Genesis 3. All of this that I'm about to tell you falls under the heading of spiritual warfare. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, we have recorded the fall of man. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, God pronounces the curse. First on the serpent, and then on the woman in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, con and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Uh, the final words of God to Eve are especially significant. Your desire shall be for your husband. Well, that sounds kind of endearing, doesn't it? Oh, how sweet. She's not going to be able to be without him for too long. She just loves him so much. You know? How, how sweet and endearing is that? Yeah, well, the only problem was God wasn't being sweet and endearing here. He was pronouncing the curse. This is something bad, not something good. The word desire in the Hebrew means to seek control. It's the same word used in Genesis 4, verse 7. When God gave instructions how Cain and Abel were to approach him. Abel listened to God and did what God said and God accepted him. Cain did what he wanted. He didn't want to follow God's instructions. He wanted to come to God his way and God refused him. And he pouted. He was upset. And so God said, Cain, if you do well, if you do what I tell you, 
You'll be, you know, will you not be accepted? I'll accept you. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. God is saying that sin will seek to dominate and control us, but we are not to let it. We are to rule over it, over our fallen natures. We're not to let our fallen natures have control. Again, Galatians 5, verse 16, right? Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts or the desires of your flesh. For the flesh wars against the Spirit. The flesh, your fallen nature. Wars against your spirit, your new nature in Christ. And your new nature fights against the flesh. These are in constant warfare with each other so that you don't always do the things you want to do. But also God is telling us in Genesis 3.16 that because of the fall, this concept would have application in marriage as well. That from this point on, the woman would desire to control her husband. But he was not to allow that. He was to have authority over her. Verse 16. You know, Eve had been in submission to Adam before the fall. This is evident from what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And initially their marriage functioned as God had ordained. The man was in authority over his wife. And she was in submission to her husband, although before the fall, the authority structure was in place, but it was invisible. What does that mean? There was no struggles for dominance. They both knew what God had ordained. They both knew their God-given role. And they were happy to function in obedience to what God had said. However, when the fall occurred and the curse came upon mankind, all that changed. No longer would the man and his wife function so beautifully and harmoniously together in marriage, each knowing their God-given role and happy to fulfill it. Now as a result of the fall, the woman would desire to usurp her husband's authority in an attempt to control him. But again, God commanded the man that he was not to allow that to happen, that he was to rule over or have authority over his wife. Again, verse 16. That many was commanded by God to be the leader or the head of his marriage and by extension his family. That he was not to allow his wife to be, dom to be the dominant one in marriage and he, uh, and he uh, passive to her control. <laughs> Thank you for not throwing anything at me. We're just uh, talking about what God said. If I was to speak this way in a secular environment, I might not get out of there alive. I mean, this is really, people are, this is, this is fighting terms. Them's fighting words. I'm just telling you what God has said. We'll talk more about roles tomorrow, okay, in marriage. But guys, with this as a backdrop, it, it, it was within this context that we see the conflict in, the marriage, in marriages today. All of it can be traced back to the fall. And that because of the fall, marriage is under the curse and subsequently under attack. An attack against God's role for husbands and wives in marriage. You have to see it for what it is. 
And today we see the effects of the curse being played out in marriages in the battle of the sexes, in feminism and chauvinism. And so the curse brought conflict and chaos into marriage. You say, well, is there any hope? Pretty bleak picture you're painting there, Phil. Is there any hope? Yes, but only in Christ. Only in Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God wants you to know that in Christ, the conflict and chaos in your marriage can be replaced with peace and harmony. If you don't have that hope, what's the point of trying? This is why God, in his word, tells us, yeah, the fall brought the curse, and the curse has messed up everything. But there's hope, God is saying to us as his people, right? There's hope that our marriages can be healthy, strong, beautiful, as God designed them to be in the beginning. You realize marriage predated the fall. I heard a pastor say one time, I could make a case that fallen sinners, marriage was never intended for fallen sinners because it was designed for a perfect environment. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be made to work. But you have to be in Christ. You have to be in Christ. You have to be saved, right? And once you're saved by God's grace and power, the effects of the fall can be overcome, making your marriage a new creation in Christ, where old things have passed away, all things have become new. You say, but how? <laughs> it seems like our marriage has never gotten off the ground. And it's true that the fall has kept many marriages grounded, so to speak in the sense that it has kept them from flying above the problems of life rooted in the curse. That's true. As Paul called it in Romans 8, verse 2, he talked about the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, or in other words, the curse working through our fallen nature. The curse working through, the law of sin and death, the curse working through our fallen nature nature and that has kept many marriages from soaring but in christ we can use one law to counteract the other listen to me that verse in its entirety goes like this romans 8 2 for the law of the spirit of life in christ that's one law has made me free from the law of sin and death that's a second law you see, in Christ, the effects of the fall can be overcome by putting one law into place that is stronger than another law. It's kind of like the law of gravity can be overcome by a stronger law, the law of aerodynamics, right? We're all subject to gravity. It affects all of us universally. But if you climb into an airplane and that thing starts running, rolling down the, uh, the runway, gets to a certain speed, and the law of aerodynamics really kicks in, and it lifts that plane above the ground. In that plane, that law that is stronger than the law of gravity has now affected you in a way that you are rising above the earth. Is it 
doing away with the law of gravity entirely? No, step out of the plane, you'll find out. <laughs> the law of gravity is still in effect. When you are in Christ, and I'm talking about being saved and walking closely with him every day, abiding in him, the Holy Spirit will lift you in your marriage. Above the problems, the chaos, the, the result of the curse, all the problems that it's caused. He will lift you above all that. Your marriage will soar. You break fellowship with Jesus, you get back into sin, you're going to crash and burn. I've seen it with people. And so as we bring this to a close, please understand that all the problems in marriage result from pride and selfishness. They are the bottom line in marital warfare, pride and selfishness. And I try to communicate this with couples. We don't need to take three years. I could do it. We don't need to take three years talking about marriage for you to have a blessed, strong, healthy marriage. As long as you begin to pinpoint the core issues, your fallen nature, which is full of pride and selfishness, which the devil manipulates and uses against you and your spouse to bring your marriage down and destroy your walk and so on. So guys, all victory has to begin where? With the cross. I mean, again, we're still talking about spiritual warfare. The only answer to the problem of our fallen natures controlling us is the cross. You must die to self if your marriage is going to be blessed and beautiful. Guys, this is what spiritual warfare is all about. Crucifying the flesh so we can walk in victory. You know, Paul in Romans 6 tells us, that the Christian life is a supernatural life. We just said that. The problem with too many Christians and Christian couples is they're trying to live a supernatural life with earthly strength and worldly wisdom. No wonder more than just marriages are in trouble. How about the Church of Christ in general across this nation? But Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that the Christian life is a supernatural life, which the Bible calls the resurrection life. This is a life that only the Holy Spirit can empower believers to live. It is a life of victory and power to be all that God has called us to be as his children. However, before we can live a resurrected life, we first have to go to the cross and die. Right? I mean, Jesus had to go to the cross and die before he was raised in power. I mean, Christians want to enjoy the power of Resurrection Sunday. They don't want to, but they just don't want to deal with the agony of Crucifixion Friday. They want to jump over the part where they die to the flesh and just enjoy all the wonderful benefits and power and so on. Look, when you talk about being resurrected, it implies death, right? Romans 6, verse 5. 
Paul said, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Jesus' death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We have to die to self. We have to crucify self before we can have resurrection, life, and power. And if we're talking about marriage, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're couples. When I get couples, and I've been doing counseling a lot of years with marriages, let me tell you typically what happens. Two people are struggling in their marriage. So we sit down together. And right away, they each want to tell me how the other one is wrong. Right? They, they want to, well, you know, if he would do this, I would be better wife. Or if she would treat me this way, I'd be a better husband. It's her fault or it's his fault. All as I know is the only person God wants to work on is the person you look at in the mirror every morning. I mean, that, that's the only person God wants to... It kind of reminds me of the end of John's Gospel when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, follow me. There's a cross in your future. I'm, I'm just going to tell you that. There's a cross in your future. You follow me. Peter starts following Jesus, looks around and sees John standing there. Well, Lord, what about this guy? Don't worry about him, Peter. I'll take care of John. You follow me. That's great advice for marriage. We want to say, well, Lord, I know I'm not perfect, but what about her? Well, what about him? And Jesus would say to all of us that very thing. Look, I'll take care of him or her. Right now, the only one I want to work on is you. And until we're all ready to come to a place where we say, Lord, I don't know how much of the problem I am in this marriage. I'm sure I've got my faults. And Lord, I know that you want to work on me. So give me the grace to identify what it is I'm doing wrong. How I can be a better husband or a better wife. Because I know you only want to work on me, Lord. And if both people are doing that in a marriage, I got news for you, that marriage is going to be blessed quick. The devil wants us to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto everybody else. So we keep running around chasing symptoms and not dealing with the core issue, which at its core is me, my fallen nature, my selfishness and pride. Again, guys, the only hope for marriage is the cross. We've got to die to self before the Holy Spirit can fill us with the power to live the resurrection life. Guys, if husbands and wives loved each other sacrificially by going to the cross and dying to self every day, dying of selfishness and pride, marriages would thrive and flourish. And couples would enjoy a supernatural listen resurrection life marriage in short they would know the joy of their marriage being all that god desires it to be all he created it to be pre-fall listen you say well if it's spiritual warfare phil and it is is there any place in the scripture specifically that you can point me to there is Turn to 2 Corinthians 10. 
So, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verses... Let's just read verses 3 and 4. Is one of the classic passages on spiritual warfare in the New Testament. Now, I want to read it to you because in these two verses we get the weaponry we need to fight the good fight and be victorious in our Christian lives in general and in our marriages in particular. So here's what Paul said. For though we walk in the flesh, that's just a way of saying though we live in these physical bodies, <laughs> we don't war according to the flesh. Our war is not physical. It's spiritual. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So obviously he's talking about spiritual warfare. How do you fight it? Well, he says the weapons of our warfare, plural, but he doesn't name them. Why not? I, I don't think he felt he needed to. I think it's pretty obvious what those weapons are. They're the word of God and prayer. I mean, he does name those in different places, not the least of which is Ephesians chapter 6, when he teaches on spiritual warfare. He mentions the word of God and prayer being essential, right? Look, I'm not trying to um, condemn anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel terrible or allow the devil to maybe heap some condemnation on you. But I'm just going to say it, guys. And this applies to me, too. We need to take this war seriously. That was Paul's whole point in Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Do it constantly. Because we're in a war. And if you don't dress for battle you're going to be taken out rather quickly. As I've said before, say you're in a hot zone on a battlefield and you come walking out with a tank top, uh, swimming trunks, and flip-flops. No helmet, no body armor, no weaponry. Won't take long before the enemy takes you out. And yet Christians face the spiritual warfare every day like that, totally unprepared. Or they may mentally believe that spiritual warfare is real, although they never really think about it. Uh, they don't prepare for it. They don't understand it. And that's why their walks are pathetic. They are no threat to the devil. Their marriages are falling apart. Their families are devastated. Look, guys, we have to be serious about the Word of God. The Word of God. Are you in the word on a daily basis what about prayer look you don't have to pray two hours at a time you can pray as you're walking you can pray in the car as you're driving but just make sure you don't close your eyes while you're watching pray very important you're going to be driving and praying um Look, again, tools. I can't I can give you the tools. I can't make you use them. I can't I can't build your marriage for you. That's something you have to work on. 
But again, spiritual warfare. How do I have victory over the devil? Well, it's, it, remember what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20? The first thing he said to them was, take heed unto yourselves. What does that mean? Guys, you're pastors. You're leaders in the church. People are looking to you to be their shepherds. You're leading them. You got to make sure you're following Jesus yourself. You got to make sure that you're serious about your walk because if you're not serious about your walk, you're not going to be strong enough to lead anybody else in the right path. The word of God in prayer, that's how we fight. So let me just say this in closing. Pray for humility. The kind of humility that says, I'm going to stop looking at my spouse as the one who is all the problem. I'm going to start looking at myself. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to pray. God, show me what it is I am doing wrong. How I am not measure, how I'm not, how I am not pleasing your heart with regard to my marriage. You've got to take honest inventory. Pray for humility. Again, this goes along with that. Examine your heart honestly. Examine your heart honestly. There's a lot. Uh, I had a couple of years ago who came in for marriage counseling. I've never had this in my life. Is she went ahead and talked about her faults. Bless her, she was a tender-hearted woman. Then I came to him. I said, okay, well, what are your faults? He said, I don't have any faults. <laughs> what? I've never heard somebody say that. <laughs> I don't know whether to say, call for... A, a mental health person or get thee behind me Satan I, I didn't know what to, to make I've never heard that before basically I'm perfect I even said that to him you're saying you're perfect well kinda I said you know what I didn't realize Jesus had returned I did say that maybe I shouldn't have I couldn't help it though it's like you know come on And I told him, I said, look, until you're ready to look at yourself honestly, you're, you're not ready to work on your marriage. You want me to fix it. You want me to fix it by telling her how she's wrong in everything. It's not going to happen. So examine your heart honestly. Main, maintain a strong devotional life. Come on, guys, honestly. Turn off the TV a little bit. Maybe get up a little early in the morning. You don't have to be in the Word two hours every morning. How about five minutes at least to start? In five minutes of prayer, just to start. See where God takes it from there. Maintain a strong devotional life. You know what? Praying together is an awesome thing to do. Again, even if it's only five minutes. Maybe you pray five minutes and your spouse prays five minutes. Coming together, holding hands, or taking each other in your arms and just praying for your marriage. I've discovered it's very hard to dislike or hate somebody you're praying with and for pray together see yourselves as allies and not enemies the battle is not with flesh and blood it's with principalities and powers the devil is pushing buttons he's got you thinking your spouse is your enemy that's a lie designed to destroy your marriage. 
Stop looking at your spouse as the enemy and realize that they are your ally. The two of you have become one. And when you come together shoulder to shoulder against the real enemy, the devil, in prayer and the word, your marriage is going to start to heal and flourish. Again, guys, we must abide in Jesus if the effects of the fall and the curse are going to be overcome in all of our human relationships, especially in marriage. Let me close with an illustration that I, I use a lot. I don't know, it's a simple illustration, but I think it does powerfully communicate a very important point. The threefold cord. All right, let's look at the three people involved in a marriage. And think of it as a triangle. One, the bottom of the triangle on one side is the husband. On the other side of the triangle at the bottom is the wife. At the very top is God. The goal is to keep moving upwards closer and closer to God. And as you move upwards closer and closer to God, the goal of your Christianity is to draw closer and closer to God. As James said, he will draw closer and closer to you. And the closer you get to God, what happens to you, your marriage? You start getting closer to each other. Again, I've told uh, uh, couples this. God is the issue. Again, People are running around trying to fix symptoms. The real core problem is your marriage is in trouble because it's under attack, but it's not being healed, it's not being victorious because your relationship with God is not what it should be. My pastor used to use the illustration of a cross. God being the vertical relationship and our fellow man, marriage, we'll say, is the horizontal he said, if the vertical is off kilter, what does it do? It throws the horizontal off. But if you bring the vertical right, you get right with God, walk with him in the spirit, your marriage comes into line. It balances out. God's the issue, guys. That's all I can say. I mean, you know, if you, 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 know, you want to give me a bunch of money to teach this seminar, I could, that's fine, but you you can reduce it down to a simple idea. Pursue God. Make him your first love. May that Make that the goal. Your marriage will almost be a byproduct of your relationship with God. The closer you draw to him, well, things have a way of working their way out in every other area, especially in marriage. Amen? Come on back tomorrow. We start at 9 o'clock. Come here a little early. we got some delicious pastries and things to eat. But uh, we will start again tomorrow at 9 o'clock, continuing with our second study in our How to Win at Marriage workshop. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that even though we're fallen sinners, you saved us by your grace. You put your spirit within us. You've given us the capacity to rise above the curse and to be the kind of people, new creations that you have desired us to be from the beginning. Father, marriages are under attack. But we pray that we won't fall into that trap of thinking our spouses are enemies and begin to fire at them, wounding them, hurting them destroying our marriage through friendly fire, which is ridiculous. 
Give us grace to come together shoulder to shoulder to focus on the real enemy and to do battle against the devil and the power of the Spirit. We ask you to continue to bless these studies uh, tomorrow. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.